Hi everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. We've got a special guest for you today. Greg, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here and uh, staying hungry. <laughs> yeah, good, good. So today we're going to be talking about aligning your people with your organized mission, organization's mission and your ability to grow. For our UK listeners, tell us who you are. Uh, my name is Greg Ballard. I'm the C founder and CEO of 5C Consulting. We're a boutique consulting firm based just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., and we work with companies to, among other things, help them organize and align their employees in their organization. Nice. That sounds relevant. <laughs> so I, I guess early doors, what kind of problems can organizations have that you, you help solve? Oh, well, it's, where can we put it? It's a couple categories of that. So I like to break them down uh, in three buckets. Okay. And so one, mm -hmm. uh, the first bucket is at the individual level. Okay. So say yeah. you have, maybe it's a, 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 a new manager or someone that you want to put into a management role. They've been rocking it in some other areas, but you want to shore up and make sure that they really have the people skills to manage. Yeah. And so we want to help them define that because it's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of talking. Sure. It's a new way of being. And often organizations will take their rock star at the technical skill and promote them and put them in charge of everybody else. Mm -hmm. And it's a double loss because they don't know how to lead people and they're trying to lead the people the way, tell, tell the, their, their new team, you know, their new direct reports exactly what they used to do. It doesn't always go well. And so there's at the individual level and that's from the new manager all the way up to the CEO, um, depending on what it is that what awareness they need to, they need, we need to create for them. What's their objectives? How do they make decisions? And, you know, just even just general communication. So the, the next bucket is the team. Mm -hmm. So we work with teams to help improve the way they interact with each other, kind of bringing awareness around their own personality type, their own way of being, their own MO. Mm -hmm. And there's different tools that we attack each of those things with so that we can create, again, creating awareness for team member A, who may be very bolsterous and bubbly and excited, to team member C, who may be just very technical and focused and kind of detailed and kind of want to more introverted. And, and there's just a couple different personality types. But how do they create awareness that both both types are actually very valuable yeah and that let's represent let's re respect each other's strengths and let's fill in each other's weaknesses so the team size and then and then of course the entire organization and with an organization it it grows from there so i like to think about agility mm -hmm. uh, con considering our current market today how do you stay agile as an organization how yeah. do you pivot on the time when the market needs to shift as well as culture. How do you create a culture where the people that you have in your organization are really bringing everything that they have to offer? What I call discovering the discretionary effort in every in, in every contributor. Why? So where do you come from on this? Why, why are you so passionate about this? <laughs> How long we got? All right. <laughs> so a little background on me. So before I did this, I was in full-time ministry um, and kind of give a little context for your audience. Uh, for those that have a context around church world, I was part of a multi-site church. And so uh, by technical definition, we would have been considered a mega church. We would never have called ourselves that. Um, but for the larger market, that's kind of what, 
what we were. Yeah. And I came into the organization and I led hundreds of volunteers, did a number of different projects. And as I worked in that role, my mentor began to help develop my capabilities and he used a particular methodology called coaching. I'd never known it. This is in 2009, 2010. I didn't even know what it was. I mean, coaching to me was like, you go out on the soccer field, you blow the whistle, you know, <laughs> that's what coaching is. Um, and we, in 2011, we as a team stepped into that further and I actually got some real kind of on the ground coaching skills and I began using them in my role, using with my staff, using them in ministry. And I was promoted a few times and I was actually asked to go and start a new campus. So I became like a satellite pastor, campus pastor. I did that for three years and loved every minute of it. Fell in love with the idea that one, we are all uniquely created and designed and we have tremendous value to offer into whatever we want to do, whether that's a volunteer organization or a for-profit organization or into society and into community. And when the chapter closed on that role, uh, we pivoted and we moved here to Northern Virginia and I decided, hey, I want to go into this. I want to make this a profession. And so I started going to the market and offering my services to help individuals, to help teams and help organizations. Cool. That's a pretty good reason. <laughs> so, um, so obviously I, I'm a business owner. We, we have a team and the kind of things in the marketing world and I'm, I'm from the businesses we work with in, in all businesses that you have to deal with as a business owner are things you would never, ever trained for. So other people's physical health, other people's mental health, other people's motivation, their ability to give their all when the pressure's on, their ability to back off when other people are feeling the pressure, all these things. So... Where do you come at this from? How would you plug into an organization and, and make sure that they're getting it right? So everything's very contextual. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm going to put a, put a pin in your question for a second, I want to talk about another concept that I, I learned a few years ago. So I partnered up with some health coaches and um, they're just rock star coaches. One's a PhD in, in holistic medicine and then the other is a former um, uh bodybuilding, you know, physique champion. Cool. And these women just, they, they just rock it. Okay. And so I said, Hey, let's, let's do some work together. And one of the things that they offered was, Hey, we, we have a partner that does this DNA assessment. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it's, it, it wasn't this ancestry, you know, it wasn't about my ancestry. It was about my genetic makeup mm -hmm. as a human being in relation to nutrition. And one of the amazing, most amazing discoveries in that process was I learned that my DNA is so unique and I, my body processes certain fats and certain things differently than yours and my wife and, you know, to anybody else. And so my plan had to become unique to me. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think things often get tripped up with people and with organizations or with teams is you get, you, you know, there's great products out there. There's great people in this market that are doing good things. But really to scale a business, what do you need to do? You need to create a product that you can repeat over and over and over, and yeah. over again, right? Okay. And so what we like to do as a boutique consulting firm, we, we work with a handful of clients is we like to really get to know the organization and get to understand exactly what their objectives are, what their values are, 
what their market industry looks like, who their target is, who their comp competitors are, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and then how do we, what, what's going to be the right mix for this organization in this environment with these people at this time? So you have to answer those questions kind of first. Uh -huh. And that is kind of our first discovery approach. We got to get to know what's going on and who's who and what are the goals? What are the objectives? And then from there, we can start to say, okay, with this information and these people in this environment, then we can start to begin to work together. That's cool. That's how marketing works too. So I like, I like that. You can't just plug in a one-size-fit-all uh, solution because it it just won't work. If that was the case, you could just give somebody a book and say, read this and you'll you'll be okay. So no, I like that. I like that. So what's, without naming names, what's the worst situation you've had to work on? Oh, um, I was recently brought in by a colleague to work with, um, I'll just give industry, uh, pharmaceutical CEO. Okay. Okay. And they were doing a thing with their whole leadership team. Um, and I was paired with the CEO, a fantastic, fantastic client. I really enjoyed working with them. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to use any genders, right? I'm just going to kind of keep it very, yeah, very sure. But the scenario was, is that the individual had one mindset about the program and it was for one of their direct reports. When the people that brought me in and the people that really set it up was like, no, Greg, this is about your client. And we need you to help create an awareness around this individual so they can address the issues that are, that, that are coming from them. Yeah. And so I thought this was pretty interesting because um, that's not usually the case. Usually you work with somebody and they're fully aware of what's going on. And so I thought it was an interesting scenario to navigate to say, okay, how do I serve this individual completely and really bring them along to see how their, their choices and their actions are impacting the rest of the organization. And um, the feedback was it went extremely well and some awareness was created. And so I was, I was really, really excited and, and pleased to do that work. That's cool. That's really cool. So something all business owners experience is, well, not all business owners, but I think if you've got the wrong balance, sometimes you can kind of get employee owner resentment. So, the employees feel like they are working to make the owner more wealthy or more successful. Uh, and the owner feels like they don't realize just how little they get at the end of the day. <laughs> how do you, how do you tackle that? So I'm interesting you bring that up. So I mentioned the founder of five C consulting. Mm -hmm. And so we have fun with the word, the term five C. So I have a series of short lists and there's a specific short list on this very topic. So okay. I'm not going to go too deep into this, but the way I like to talk about this is in a business, you really have to have um, stakeholder value yep. and every stakeholder has to get value out of it. Okay. And, and the value may not be equal, mm -hmm. but the value has to be there relative to what is that person needs. So what am I, so there's five particular categories. One, you have your 
shareholders, your, your corporate shareholders. These are the people that own the company. Okay, and then you have your C-suite executives. These are the leaders of the company. You have your cast and crew, which are managers and contributors. You have chosen vendors and suppliers, and then you have your customers or clients, however you frame them. Those five categories all have to win when they touch the organization. And in some cases, employees don't necessarily see what why shareholders have to win. And in other cases, shareholders, the owners, kind of want to continue to cut back on cost and they limit how much they're giving the employees, the cast and the crew in order to do the job. And that's going to be an out of balance. So you've got to find the balance for all of these. And depending on the business, depending Mm -hmm. on the market, depending on what's there, you got to see what you can do. Do you have a viable business? Yeah. You know, if you can't bring somebody in to do a task at a, at a compensation rate where they feel like they're getting a, a, a fair exchange, well, then there's a problem with the business model. Yeah. So that's where I, I would start at that kind of foundational level and say, does the business model work or is it maybe the, the way it's structured? Are we, are there, are there other things you can offer to the cast and crew bucket that don't necessarily, you know, take from the shareholder value, but add value to the cast and crew? Uh, and that's at a macro level. At a micro level, when we really dive into this, what we want to do is we really want to get to know the in- individual. And, and this is what we teach managers, how to manage. Yeah. Okay. Um, get to know that individual and what their goals are. Okay. Most, most companies hire you, they give you a job description. They say, show up, do your job. You get a performance evaluation, you get a paycheck. And, and they're really like, as far as what you want and what your goals are, it's, it's really hands off. We, most employers don't do that. And I think that's a huge mistake. A huge, I think a huge loss, I should say, no mistake, because when you take the time to get to know your direct reports as a manager, the people on your team, and ask them, like, what are your goals? Where do you want to be in two, three, four, five years? Maybe you don't know. You know, maybe you do. Maybe you just need a paycheck. I don't know what it's going to be. But in many cases, somebody might be thinking, hey, I, I want to start a podcast, or I want to go and start a, an alfalfa farm, or I want to start and, you know, make cookie dough that people can eat. You know, whatever it is that you want to do, as the manager, I can now say this individual has this goal, <clears throat> and then I can break that goal down into specific experiences and skills. Okay, if you're going to be successful at a podcast, okay, well, we got to get you be able to communicate and start a conversation, and maybe get you exposed to some technology. What, what, what does that look like inside of our organization? What does that look like tied to this role? Mm-hmm. Okay, and how can I align my my employees' goals with the goals of the business? And this is the magic. And the more I can do that, the better. But it's not always possible, right? It's not always possible. So you've got to have this relationship and this back and forth exchange to say, well, here's the role that we have, and here's what we absolutely have to have from this role and if you can deliver this a hundred percent then we'll do whatever we can to help you get your goal as well yeah 
And maybe your goal right now is you just need a job and I just need somebody to show up every day and you need a paycheck. Well, fantastic. We've got a good relationship. And when the time comes and you need to go on to another thing, that's fine. So without getting you know, without a specific example, it's hard to get into the concrete pieces here. Yeah, but I sure. Think to see at the conceptual level, we want to align the business goals and the, and the uh, needs of the role to the desires and the, and the wishes and the dreams of that employee as much as we can. This is how we unlock what we call discretionary effort. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. We have um, not a value, but we have sort of a culture point within our business called co-break first. And that means not Andy and Joel first, not team first, not supplier first, not customer first, co-break first. And everybody else is around that. And exactly what you said, if each individual cog in the wheel isn't satisfied with their role their stakeholder role within the organization something's gonna go wrong or something's not gonna fit quite right or there'll be friction and you described it way way better than I can but I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that and say that to the team next time next time I see them all in the same place so yeah no that's that's awesome so aligning the, the individuals with your kind of mission and your goals Obviously, every individual that comes into your business is going to have their own goals. They're going to have their own ambitions. They, some people will want to rise quickly. Some people will just want to have a steady job. How do you make sure that they feel like you're satisfying their needs whilst you're still satisfying the goals of the business? So as a business owner, your job is to take care of the business. Yeah. That's them. So, so a lot of times we get stuck in these competing values. Mm-hmm. So how do you value the business and the people at the same time? Okay. And that's the question that I feel like you're asking here. Okay. And I'm going to say is you, you can't, okay. You've got to put one above the other and it doesn't mean you, dim- you're not diminishing your people. What you're saying is I'm building a company. You're, you're I'm building a business. I'm serving a market and I want to bring people with me. I need certain people with certain skills to come with me and, and you have to go and find them. Uh, one of the things I honestly think we, and, and pardon me if I'm pivoting here for a second, but this is just coming up. I think we've kind of have this kind of really negative view on separation. Sure. In general. Sure. And I think if we kind of approach that in a, in a, in a, I think in a different way, in a way of like, wait, this is healthy both for the business owner and the employee, the separation is actually probably a really good thing. It is because how many times you get an employee that comes in, they add value, but they're not growing. They're just kind of doing the job. And yet every year they want a raise, but they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in it, but that's a kind of a cultural expectation. You, you do a job for five years, you must be getting better at it. So we should pay you more. Well, your role has not changed. You're delivering exactly what you used to deliver. And so from an employee perspective, I want to be challenging to say, what are you growing into? What are you really want to get out, go after? And does this organization, does the role you're in, does the organization you're in actually help you achieve that goal? If not, maybe it's time to say, this has been fantastic. I love all of you and have a a send off party, like onto the, onto your next thing. Um, and c- you end up creating an alumni family of people that worked in your organization. And if you do it well and in a healthy way, 
they look back and they're like, that was so fantastic. I had a great organization. I was with great mentors. I did good work and, and I draw on those skills. But no, what do we do? We either quit or we get fired and then we never talk to those people again. And so <laughs> I think there's, you know, I think there's something in, in this of saying, let's look at separation in a, in a healthy way. It gets difficult when people are depending on income, mm -hmm. you know, and it becomes really kind of a sensitive point like income. Um, but if you're working with people that have skills and or, or you can help develop their skills, they can find another another position that they can go after the thing that they want. So I'm not sure if that landed on your question, but that was a, an important. Yeah, no, it did. It feels like you were reading my mind. Um, we we've <laughs> we've had a situation quite similar to what you just described very, very recently. Um, and there's, there's no bad blood, but certainly, uh, you know, we're, we're a relatively small business and you really take it pers personally when maybe somebody doesn't want to be here anymore. It's not what's best for them. And equally, they really take it personally when perhaps you know that it's not what's best for them too or, or, or the other way around they, you think it's what's best for them and they want to go or they want to stay and you don't want them to stay it's that that's a really really uh culturally tricky thing to navigate but actually if you see it as a positive and that you know you're going to bring in fresh blood they're going to go on i'll to give you things. a story let okay. me give you a very specific example so i was working with this is back in my church role and I was a campus pastor and we had a very small team of paid employees, but a large team of volunteers and some volunteers were basically staff. I mean, sure. we gave so much time and they had, we gave them the authority. Um, so we had an individual, wonderful, wonderful individual. Um, we had them in a role that was completely unaligned with their gifts and their capabilities. And it was a short-term role and we probably spent, because we had the time and because I had the relationship, we spent the time just having the conversation about like, you know, where do you really fit and what do you really have in and how is this working for you? And we made some alterations and pivots and we brought in actually someone else to start doing a, a component of the role, if you will. Mm -hmm. And this person was gifted gifted in in this and what was amazing is that when individual a observed individual b they were like oh my gosh like this is not who i am this is not what i'm supposed to be doing and the transition while difficult and you know disruptive obviously it was almost a self-selected yeah i because basically i said look i can give you more hours doing the thing that is not in your gift and if we're all going to be frustrated or we can we can part you know in this part of the relationship in this part of the relationship and we can continue in other parts of the relationship and they self-selected yeah we you know this isn't the right thing for me right now cool okay pardon me if i wasn't specific enough um no no that was awesome so flip that on its head what if somebody's really really good at certain things but it's not what they like to do 
because I, I, I see that all the time. In a, in, a, in a marketing agency, everybody wants to play with the cameras. Everybody wants to play with the podcast equipment. Everybody wants to draw yeah. something nice. But So with that, with that specifically, I'd be driving in to understand values mm-hmm. and what reward looks like to you. Because, look, I, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, as a younger guy, I would love to be the shiny penny. I love to be the person in front of the camera. Yeah. And, but my motivations um, may not have been the most mature, if you will, the healthiest. Okay. And so when I take a closer look at that and examine, well, what is it that I really, really want versus really, really need? You know, and you can dive in. And I mean, I would say, I don't want to offer any broad stroke here, but I think looking into those core values and the recognition component may unearth some things that might help them appreciate the gifts that they have in the area that they have them. Yeah. The other, the other challenge is there are some really fun jobs that are very limited in numbers. So supply and demand, right? Yeah. 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 So, my, my wife is a zookeeper. So yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. And so if you have somebody in a role, the demand for that position is zero, but you might have four other people in the organization that would love to do that job. That's, that's normal. That's normal. You have to stay the course until the position becomes available or the organization grows. How can you help grow the organization so that they need another one of those? That's you know, how I would start to think. Okay. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we've just been interviewing. So you know, we're we're a growing company, and it's for a marketing assistant role, so a relatively low level junior junior role. And everyone, everyone, I think we've interviewed thirty seven candidates, and which is too many, but that's another story. So, <laughs> what's your favourite part of marketing? All of them whether they're 18 years old or 30 years old, have all said, my favorite part of marketing is social media. And then, okay, what's your favorite part of doing marketing? Oh, content creation. And it's such a, a finite, small part of what we do. And I have no idea how to get the message out there to attract somebody to marketing as a whole or to to basically not say to me social media and content creation <laughs> well yeah i don't know if there's a question so there, joel but... can i can i enter into the coach mode for a second yeah go coach mentor mode okay so what i what i'm thinking or my my initial reaction is that's what they are telling you because that's what they've been exposed to about what marketing is uh-huh. and so my challenge for you is is there anyone in that pool you've got a large pool that when you test and poke and prod and question other areas, they look like they have the capability of becoming what you need. Yeah. And then your job is to develop that. You, you have to develop it. It sounds like what I'm hearing is the people that are coming through, this, through your process have a sliver of understanding of what marketing is. And you're gonna, you have to expand that. Sure. But you want to find the person in that pool that you think can handle that expansion and is interested in that expansion. 
Yeah, I hope that's what you would say, because that, that's the plan. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in terms of an organization's mission, uh, our mission is to help people and have fun, for example. How do you make sure your stakeholders are on board? Particularly staff. Yeah, so as it as an organizational leader that's your job mm -hmm. so you stay on mission number one you stay on mission every decision every communication has got to be tied to the mission as soon as you skew off mission and go after something personal or something that wasn't in the mission that's where things go go off okay um but one you have to keep the mission in front of everybody and two tell stories about how how the mission is being executed encourage people to tell their story of how they executed on the mission that would be a couple of tactics i might try uh, but number one if fu fundamentally it's going to come from the leader of the organization regardless of what you have written on the wall what you do is becomes the mission i feel like you're, you've seen our walls that's scary <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's a poster just here with all our values on that I'm going to tear down. So, so. No, cool. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think um, there's certainly a trend in in organisations that we work with when we're doing marketing that they come up with a mission and they come up with values to attract what they deem the right customer, and they forget that. The whole team needs to buy into it. Suppliers need to buy into it. The, the leadership team needs to buy into it. And from a marketing perspective, that's really difficult because you lose authenticity. And people are a lot smarter than companies realize. And as soon as authenticity is gone, it, things get really tricky from a marketing angle. How do you make sure that an organization is being authentic so that everybody buys in. Hmm. That again comes from your leadership. Mm -hmm. That's what it's, it's what's modeled. Um, I can tell you how many organizations that have a mission and values on the wall, and that's probably the only place they exist. Sure. Okay. And when you bring them up, it's just like, oh, we we can't do that. Like, there's so many reasons why we can't live. Um, and what I come back to with values is like, look, if you don't pay for them, if you're not willing to pay for them, they're not valuable and you can't call them your values. So, and I don't know, maybe you have an example. Is there a particular value maybe we can bring into the conversation? So we've just changed ours, but our old values might be a good, a good one to okay. hit. So um, one, of ours, one of our old ones was togetherness and enthusiasm. Okay, so what are some examples of how that actually played out for you? So how we wanted it to play out, I think, might be might be a good starting place. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. that everything's cohesive, whether that's conversations with clients, whether that's teamwork, whether that's leadership stuff, and then that within that cohesion, everything is done with a certain level of enthusiasm. Now, the reality is sometimes things don't go to plan, Sometimes things are tougher than we expect. Sometimes things are easier than we expect. But all of those mean that both togetherness and enthusiasm can be negatively impacted. 
And we had to review that and look at more talking to the team about ownership and talking to clients about ownership and the fact that if you've got something to do and it needs doing, that that's important, but sometimes you're just not going to be enthusiastic about it. And that's kind of, that's, yeah, that's the story of the change. Yeah. So a couple of things in there. So, I mean, it makes sense to say, hey, you know, we want to do things together. We want to be enthusiastic. And I think for uh, outside of the office and working with clients, like, I think that's a fantastic, you know, aim, mm -hmm. if you will. But I can think of some scenarios off the top of the bat, like that inside the office, that that may be difficult to execute. For example, if you're in a workshop and you're in a creative process and you're riffing and creating and pushing, you know, against each other to come up with a better idea, well, you have this sense of conflict, right? Sure. This productive conflict, which is almost the opposite of togetherness, but you need this productive mm -hmm. conflict. And then enthusiasm, like you said, there's things that have to get done that, you know, not too many people get enthusiastic about. That doesn't, in my opinion, that doesn't diminish the overarching value. It comes, it, it's, it's like, the question is, is where does this value take priority? Yeah. And, and I think sometimes it values, we get confused to think we have to hold this up in every moment, in every situation, in order to say we, we've carried the values. No, that's not the point of a value. You know, the way you've outlined sure. it in this, on this particular conversation, it's to say, you know, well, in this scenario, this is what, this is when it gets executed. And, and this is when we do values work. It's like we go dig, we mine really deep into why is that value so important? And what is the expected outcome of that value? And when you get under the hood and deep into the dirt on that value, you begin to realize, well, it was because this thing happened way back and I didn't want that to happen again. Yeah. Cause that's where really values come from. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so when we understand the purpose of them, that's, and we teach that we teach it through stories. We teach it through reinforcement. We explain it to people. Then they can say, Oh, we want to execute this value here. Yeah. So I have to be careful what I say because our staff listen to this podcast. <laughs> but, but sometimes, historically, our values have been used to beat us with. So it's kind of like, well, how's that togetherness and enthusiasm? And it's, you, you know, code break first. Sometimes we have to do things for the greater good. And that might mean that on Easter weekend, I'm recording a podcast and putting furniture together, but I'm certainly not enthusiastic about it. So <laughs> I'm more enthusiastic about the podcast than I am putting the furniture together, I must admit. But how does a company ensure that their values are seen, how you described, as, as the correct go-to for different scenarios than a stick to beat people with when they're not conforming to them <laughs> oh gosh um so i would say number one you got to think about the, the the way you design your values okay and what are you designing them for are you designing them to draw a market segment to you yeah 
Are you designing them because this is how you want to stand in the marketplace? Yeah. And this is just it. Okay. And so how you design them is going to have a lot of influence on this. We just set up where we're, I'm, I'm going through and uh, about to publish our values and they're internally being discussed. Um, we set them up as this is our center. Mm -hmm. And when we go to the market, we're liking, well, our clients have a different set of values. Because the way it works is like, it's not just because we have our values, I can only work with people that have our values. Sure. That's not the way we're structured, right? And I don't think you'd be structured the same way. Um, so we've set them up as this is who we are. They're internal, essentially. And we'll publish them and people will know what they are. But I've taken the, the, the burden of explaining the value. And, you know, even though it's plain language, okay, um, you know, we protect our clients. That's one of our values. We protect our clients, their reputation. We keep confidences. I've been very careful even today to not disclose sure. or give any indication about even who we work with. Okay. So that's an example of we protect our clients. We work with clients and um, there's a particular client we're working with right now uh, who is figuring some stuff out and it's not in our charter. But I've said, hey, have you looked at this? Hey, did you know about this? And they have come back and say, oh, my gosh, thank you. Um, this is how we execute protecting our clients. And now I've just done what I'm encouraging you to do. Give stories, give real examples, and be able to explain how you've paid the price to hold that and call it a value. Where has the value become a cost to you? Sure. If you haven't paid the cost, it's some nice words that make people feel good. It's not really a value. Yeah, exactly. That's why we reviewed ours was they've all got to start with why. And that meant that some of them had to go, which which is cool. Um, and, and it takes it, – it's an evolution. It's like, you know, if, if they come from you, Joel, then you're going to give a scenario. I'd encourage when you get together with your team over the next several months, talk about one value. And just say, look, there's words on the wall, but they're not up for interpretation. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to share with you my interpretation. I'm going to share with you how I vision this, how I've applied this. And I want you to soak that up and then ask me a question. We're going to go through this process of owning and integrating these values into who we are, into the fabric of our culture. But it's not your interpretation of the words on the wall. It's what I've me. It's this is this is my values, and I'm putting them into words that I'm hoping will convey. And I'm going to add to that in every way that I can until you get it. Yeah, that makes a lot. Of Does sense. that serve you? Does that help? That helps. That helps me. That helps the listeners. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, I like that. So, people buy into your values. You've got them to buy into the mission. Things are going well, and then somebody has a wobble somebody somebody's i don't know something's happened in their personal life maybe they they're, they're kind of just starting to be a negative influence in the organization how do you deal with that how do you get their mindset back on track how do you make sure things stay aligned yeah so number one first thing that jumps out to me is and um this draws on one of the five practices of the five C's, which is consciously human. 
Yeah. Uh, I won't go through all five, but consciously human. And so number one, if you've got a, you've got a, a player that's been very strong, a contributor, you know, on the team, and then something's going sideways, um, that's the time to be human and say, you know, hey, is there anything going on? Is there anything that we should become aware of? Is there anything that code break or our organization may be able to do uh, to kind of walk with you through this? Yeah. That would be our approach. That would be um, how we would begin. And because typically if there's been, you know, a track record of success and something's, then there's something outside of the work zone that is influenced and impacting. It could be their health. It could be the health of a family member. It could be a life event that has happened. Yeah, sure. Or maybe it could be just a life event of just like, oh my gosh, I, 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 my, I don't know where my career is going and I want to change it up. But you have to touch base and figure out what's driving this and what are the factors. Maybe it's a short-term thing and it's just weather the storm. Maybe there's a real need and maybe there's something that you can do to help address that. And again, you're, you're being consciously human. Mm -hmm. And when the storm passes, they'll never forget that. Fair. Okay. That's cool. And how about the people that it's impacting in the workplace? So I've seen it in loads of organizations where one person who's usually strong starts to kind of be a negative influence, but not on purpose. And you've got to protect the, the mission. <laughs> Absolutely. So we believe in unsolicited constructive feedback. Okay. Okay. Um, feedback can be done in many different ways. Uh, I have found the most productive and high-performing teams have developed the ability to say, you're not carrying your weight. This is not good enough. We need you to do better. And then is there something you need in order to do it better? You know, you're not being rude or mean about it. You're not being diminishing, but you're not necessarily tolerating something that should not be tolerated. And so you said something called negativity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to me, that's not something that should be tolerated. Yes, there may be something going on outside of the work office space yes. or outside in other parts of your life. Um, and maybe you need some time for that but that should never be translated into a negative space inside the workspace. Sure. And so I think we need to address well, where's the negativity coming from and what's driving that uh, and, and, and tweaking that as quickly as possible. Okay. So let's say, you know, I, I've certainly been there myself at times when something bad's happening you don't think your negativity is your fault. You don't think you can help it. How does a manager, a leader, an owner say you, you can help it? You're, you're choosing to be negative, particularly if they've got something terrible going on away from work. So I have an active client I've been working with for several years, um, and a scenario came up. So without too much you know, is yeah. without too much detail here, um, you know, the person is a graphic designer, brand strategist, fairly relevant to your community, uh, but they're in a very uh, established organization, yeah. like 40 plus years. And they were charged with create a new brand. 
Now consider this is a junior individual contributor, you know, very talented, their work is highly recognized. And so they start working through the process and the brand, a new brand is launched. And now they become the brand ambassador, the brand protector, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they have to lead up two and three levels to people that have been around far longer than they have and have been doing it their own way. And so you can imagine an organization um, that has given a new brand and the previous one is kind of like, like the cats go whatever way they want to go. And now here's a junior individual who has to bring everyone together. So very challenging situation. Sure. And what ended up happening is <clears throat> issues were being brought up and it was touching their value system, their personal value system. And it was triggering these very visceral and emotional responses in their communication. And so after a little while, they were, you know, through a couple scenarios, their supervisor said, hey, you know, this has to be addressed and I want to recommend you for coaching. And they were very like, oh, my gosh, yes, I'm ready to work on this. And so I ended up coaching them for about nine months. Okay. And in that process, we talked about values. We talked about communication. We talked about emotional intelligence. We talked about negotiating, um, negotiating with others. And in nine months, complete turnaround, we just did an ROI study and we only quantified um, one of three areas that there was actual ROI. And out of the one, it was like a 477% ROI on the investment. That's a good plug. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So essentially, you need to coach the individual through their negativity <laughs> your it, it it depends okay it depends but if you have someone that is brought some negativity in is not aware um and their direct supervisor doesn't have the relationship mm -hmm. yet or isn't able to do doesn't have the capacity even to do that well then let's set them up with another relationship where they can just you know, yeah, let yeah. it all out and get it resolved and get back on the job. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of coaching inside an organization. Make, that makes sense. That's cool. So let's say somebody's starting a new business, a big new business though, because I think we need to make sure there's a few staff and a few problems. <laughs> and they've got a new mission, they've got new values and they aspire to be something great. What does someone like you say to an organization like that to make sure that they don't get things wrong early doors to make sure everything lines up? Um, don't try to get it right the first time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just, just let's, let's get the expectation management set. Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're, you're a startup. You've got a team. Maybe you got some venture capital funding. Yeah. Um, and, and you need something on the board. Um, right now, you don't even have a viable business model yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or maybe you have a viable business model, but you've got to go improve it and actually execute on it. And you're going to run into so many things right now that it's going to, in, in six months, in 18 months, it's going to transform the way you think. Yeah. So I would encourage be flexible. Cool. Be flexible. Keep what it is that you want to do. Keep it whatever it is you're aligning around 
as tight as possible. And try to create this 15 values, you know, list of 15 values in this paragraph mission statement. You know, don't go that big. Keep it really, really tight and focused. And as you get more experience and you get more success, then add on to it as you're learning and growing. That's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think um, we say very similar things to new marketing clients because obviously the dream every time somebody engages us is growth. It's usually growth. So I I always say, well, you, you need to strap in. And what, what do you mean I need to strap in? Well, you said you want to double your growth in the next year. And if we do that, you're going to encounter things you've never encountered before. And like, well, yeah, that's what I was hoping for. It'll be great. It's not all going to be great. It's, it's not all going to be great. And they're like, well, why are you telling me this stuff? Don't, don't you want our work? And it's, well, it's expectation management. I, I want you to understand that with that level of growth comes things that you can't predict right now. You're going to have problems. You're going to have scenarios that we can't imagine. And hopefully the positive will outweigh the negative, but... As, as a new business, yeah, as, as a growing business, this is going to be a ride. Absolutely. You, you want to go after something more, you're going to co- and uncover and discover new problems. Yeah. And if you're not ready for new problems, then you can kind of keep doing what you're doing. But you want more for a reason. Yeah. You, you're going to have to get it by solving some bigger problems. I like it. I like it. So, like, like, I'll give you an example from a recent podcast I just listened. Okay, to. going from thirty batches of cookies. Uh, <laughs> Whose podcast was this? Three thousand a day. <laughs> um, some fantastic guy over in England, <laughs> the UK. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So, uh, the podcast you're referencing, they they basically ended up working twenty hour shifts, I think, to to cover the 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 deficit in in their team. Um, and obviously that is not sustainable, but if you engage a marketing agency and say, I want to grow three times over, four times over, five times over, and you haven't got a plan for the consequences of that, you're, it's not going to be fun. Uh, many businesses have approached us and said, we need to stop. We're too busy. And it's, it's horrible for, for us because that's what you said you wanted and (laughs) it's 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 a really i mean i've got a really clear example of that that i can't reference but somebody that we we tent we 10 x their business in six months and that we were the victim of our success and it was it's horrible i I have sleepless nights about it (laughs) where you're uh and they weren't a startup, but expectation management of success, I think, is is a really tricky one because some people see wealth as success, some people see the development of their team as success, some people see freedom as success, being able to spend more time with their family. And yet when you generally talk in business, it will be, I want to grow or I want more profit. So how how do you make those things align how do you make somebody like say you're talking to a ceo we've talked a lot about staff so you're talking to a ceo how do you one find out what success means to them so 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 what is it that they actually they want how do you make the business align with that 
because potentially they're they're the big boss. And and how do you then make sure they're not a victim of their success? Yeah. So does the CEO have a board um, or no? Let Let's say no. Let's 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 keep it. Okay. Because I think it's that's a very different scenario. Yeah. Like yeah. You got other... your own company. Yeah. And there's no one watching over you. You know, you're not a you're not a publicly traded company or anything like that. So, um, you're the chairman. You're you 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 you're the CEO. You're the leader. So it's going to come down to doing a deep discovery dive. And this we do this in our executive development program of, well, what is it that really you want? I mean, I would probably start off with something as basic and as simple as a customized life wheel. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't seen that, just imagine a circle with twelve slices. And you get to put any category of life in one of those 12 slices, and then you rate each one, one to 10, on how successful that area of life is for you. Sure. And then you, know, you get a bit of a snapshot, okay? And maybe you identify there's three slices of that pie that you really wanna focus in on. And then we do what's called a second order life wheel, and we blow that up into 12 components, and then we begin to rate those. And then we get a picture of, okay, where are the opportunities, you know, to help you get to success? So that would be kind of our, one of our early things to do uh, um, amongst a couple of other key assessments that we use. Yeah. Uh, because you have to define it. And, and often, depending on the, I'm going to say the age of the CEO, okay, because that's going to be going to drive a lot of it. You've got a very young CEO, they, their priorities are going to change. Sure especially if they're going to have kids or they haven't had kids or they just had kids, um, you know, or some other life event. If they're more senior and they've been, you know, their mid forties, fifties, they're thinking in a different way. They're thinking legacy. And so all of those things have to be taken into account. And what we really want to do is we want to pull back any, um, I can't think of the term, but any illusions of success. So you might say, there might be this thing, well, I need more money. Yeah. And yet that is really a lie. Mm -hmm. And it's not authentic to who you are. But someone, somewhere, the world, whatever, has been has telling you this is what's going to make you happy and make you successful. And we may have to pull that back and actually say, you know what? This is the enough line for money. And then let's add another 20% so we can have enough and a little more. Because everybody wants enough and a little more, right? Um, and once we can figure out what that looks like, we can kind of get past this never-ending scale of growth money. Yeah. All right. You will check about. You want to talk on things about like impact? What is the purpose of your organization? What's the impact you're trying to drive into the market, into the world, into society? How does that measure? Is there ways to help achieve that? Um, and so. There's a lot of questions I would want to start with and get really clear on what success is and then begin to chart the plan for actually executing on that. Nice. Yeah. I guess if you define what the success is, you protect yourself from becoming a victim of it. Mm -hmm. Where yep. the, the risk is most people, well, not most people, but many people in business think that becoming financially wealthy is, is an indicator of success, but it's also the quickest way to become a victim of success because that's 
that's where all the problems lie too. So, <laughs> so I mean, their studies, I think, um, like $75,000 US is, there's a, there's been some statistics that shows once you get to that point, more money does not necessarily increase happiness. Yeah, makes sense. And so, um, but some people want to have a lifestyle and they want to do things that require money. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Um, and you can grow as much as you want if you're willing to face the problems that come with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think most of the people we talk to on a marketing sense, because we do something very similar, we do um, we do a life wheel, we do a, what we call a discovery call. Um, and I would say 75% is about freedom, freedom to spend time with their children, freedom to go on holiday, freedom to... Uh, finish work when they want to finish work, freedom to be able to go to the gym as much as they'd like to go to the gym. Uh, and money is a factor in that freedom. You can't do those things without money. But at the same time, you can't do those things if the business can't run itself without you. Or um, you can't do those things if you're too anxious to do them because you're away from the business. So there's... There's an awful lot of mindset in in success. Absolutely, um, I heard this said once. Um, startup entrepreneurs were the only people that'll give up um, a, a forty-hour-a-week job with a consistent paycheck to go and work a hundred hours for an inconsistent paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're happy about it, right? Like we, we, it's the independence. It's that. I don't have to report to somebody to do something. Sure. But I'm going to, but we, when we make the leap, sometimes you make the leap, you don't realize what you're leaping into. And you're going to be doing a whole lot of things that you don't want to do. And you're taking on a whole lot of risk. But at the end of the day, you become successful. Uh, you're, you're standing on your own feet. You're, you're not, I think, as you opened the call earlier, um, helping someone else get rich while they don't do anything sure and that's a, i think a big driver in a lot of entrepreneurs that's cool greg you've been really generous with your expertise you've been a great guest and thank you very much for coming on the stay hungry podcast joel this has been awesome i really appreciate love the conversation thank you 